are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. recognize that this week's topic is a very sensitive one, and um, it's one that we see discussed quite a bit, whether it be um, just through current events, whether it be on the media, whether it be in the news, uh, even in uh, entertainment. We, we see that uh, on TV shows and movies, and because of that, uh, it's a question that I think we uh, need to address and unpack. So we're going to seek to do that. But we want to do that first by asking God to, to really guide and bless our time. So if you would, just bow with me and we'll pray and then we'll get into our discussion. Father, thank you for uh, this time that we could be here to worship you and to sing songs of praise of how great you are. And uh, Father, it's just good to be reminded of how, uh, what a loving, powerful God you are. And Father, as we uh, tackle a, a topic that's discussed a lot today uh, in our world, I pray, Father, that you'll grant us the wisdom and the ability to, to address that, this topic, uh, looking at Scripture and honoring you in the process, uh, because that's, Father, what we want to do first and foremost in everything we do. We want to honor you. We want to be faithful to your Word. And yet we want to be sensitive to those in the audience that might be personally impacted by this subject matter. And so I just pray, Father, that you will really bless our time and guide Andrew and myself as we seek to answer these very good, honest questions. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you, Roger. Um, I think what we should just go ahead and do now is just go ahead and dig into the actual questions that surfaced from the survey. Uh, On each survey, there were three questions, three prompts. And uh, from those prompts, we were able to actually get a series of questions. So I'm going to revisit each of those prompts. Uh, The first question was, I really want to know what Jesus thinks, feels about, and it was left open. And these are the things that came up. How Jesus thinks or feels about changes in today's views of homosexuality, transgender, or gender identity. And then secondly, modern society and its newer norms as well as how people perceive him in modern times. Um, let's go ahead and start with Andrew. Uh, how would you respond to this first question? Yeah, uh, I'll start by saying up until about a, just over a year ago, uh, this was not a complicated issue for me. I viewed um, you know, LGBT community issues and homosexuality as a very black and white deal and uh, just treated as very simple. Uh, and then uh, something changed. Uh, April of last year, um, I had a good friend wanted to, uh, uh, you know, get time with me. So we ended up, we go to Saxby's over on 73 here in Springboro. And uh, it was clear he had something, you know, on his heart he wanted to share. And just pretty early on in the conversation, he just said, you know, Andrew, I'm gay. I have been gay my entire life and no one else knows. And then ever since then, you know, I felt differently about this. Just initially, just a lot of 
emotion hit me. There was some, there was some surprise. There was a certain type of sadness and a whole lot of uh, empathy. Um, my reaction was, you know, we got up. I, you know, I hugged him. I said I love him, and um, just I was, you know, proud for him sharing this with me and trusting me with this information. And I meant it when I said that. Um, but beyond that, we spent the next hour or so just uh, me just listening to his story and where he was in all this and how does Jesus fit into all this. And it was just a lot of learning. And it was just hearing a lot of uh, new things. So uh, I said, hey, let's treat this as you know, an open conversation because you know, I'll still you know, have questions about this and I want to understand this more and more. I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, so we leave the parking lot. I go home, and I make a beeline for the Bible. My first reaction was, I went to the Bible because I wanted to find uh, scriptures or passages where uh, this was an okay thing. I wanted it to be, because all of a sudden someone I loved was identifying this way, I wanted the Bible to say, hey, this is fine, this is okay, this is something that we can embrace. And I knew I wouldn't find anything there. I've been studying the Bible for a long time, uh, but I still went there anyway. And ever since then, this issue has become muddy, it's complex, it's complicated. I feel a whole lot more educated on it over the last year, but also I realize that there is really nothing simple about this. Uh, one thing I did want to bring up is there's this, uh, a couple of verses from Second Timothy uh, that most of us have heard before. I want to share it again. It says, uh, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Uh, Mostly, when I've heard those two verses, what I hear first is Scripture tells us what is wrong and Scripture teaches us, you know, what needs correcting. Uh, But in light of this topic, I want to point out that it also says that it teaches us to do the right thing. And the Bible can equip us to do every good work. That's what I want most people to hear uh, this morning. But also, uh, my take is, no matter how culture evolves on any given issue, uh, I trust God's word more than anything else. The, the Bible, Scripture, is my, is my standard. It's my measuring point. So that's where I go in trying to decide, you know, how do I interpret whatever is going on in the world? Now, to answer the question more directly, how does Jesus feel about changing today's views on homosexuality and gender identity? Here's what I would say to that. I think that, I think that Jesus is understanding. Uh, and I think that Jesus has love and compassion for those who struggle uh, with these issues. I think Jesus has love and compassion for those who don't struggle with this all, but fully embrace the identity and lifestyle. And just the same, I think Jesus has just as much love and compassion for Christians who have maybe mishandled this and uh, created a lot of damage with uh, the LGBT community. Uh, Beyond that, I also don't think that Jesus is surprised by this, um, how this has grown in culture. Uh, the writer in Ecclesiastes, that Old Testament book, says that there is nothing new under the sun. So what we're discussing today is nothing new. It really isn't, no matter how it might feel that way. So I would say uh, that for everyone in the room, not just with this topic we're discussing, that more than anything, Jesus is after a life-changing relationship any, with anyone who is marred by the effects of any sin, uh, no matter their identity, no matter their behaviors. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, Roger, would you like to add anything? Yeah, I, I appreciate Andrew sharing uh, the tension that he felt in his heart as he had a friend that identified uh, with this particular community. And likewise, I've wrestled 
uh, with this issue through the years as I have befriended, counseled, and sought to have open dialogue with people who identify with the LGBT community. I've experienced a a good number of conversations through the years, going back even to my college uh, days uh, when I was a public school teacher and then throughout my years in ministry. And and as a church leader, I've tried to take to heart a, a passage from the Bible that was written by the Apostle Paul to a younger church leader to talk to him about how to approach uh, situations in life very similar to this. And, and this is what Paul wrote to Titus in Titus 2, verse 7. He says, In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. It's our commitment here at Southwest to be faithful to Scripture, accepting the Bible to be our norm and our standard for what we believe is true. But we're also uh, resolved to show integrity as we address serious matters like this one, and yet to do so in a godly way that reflects both truth and grace as Jesus uh, modeled. Never uh, settling for, you know, um, petty slander, name-calling, or overgeneralizations, because I don't think those are helpful at all. In fact, as we keep reading in the book of Titus, that, that's where Paul goes. In Titus chapter 3, he says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever's good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle Toward everyone. I believe that this, these passages are very important for us to take to heart as we address any sensitive matter, especially this one we're talking about today. Now, one experience that I needed to apply this teaching in a very practical way was many years ago when I was a high school math teacher, and Jay and I were very involved in a church that we were worshiping with and involved with, and I was leading a small group. And one particular week, one of the ladies in our small group invited a gentleman from her uh, neighborhood to come to small group. And uh, what became evident as he joined our small group for that particular evening is that he was transitioning from one gender to another. Now, you have to understand, this was 30 years ago. This was a brand new experience for me. Long before these kind of matters were being discussed in the media, uh, I hadn't received any sensitivity training at work as a, as a teacher. And so, frankly, as this individual came to our small group, and it was obvious by his dress that he was uh, identifying with now being a female and transgendering, and it was very awkward and difficult for me to know how to best respond. Now, during the, the small group, uh, you know, he was cordially welcomed by the group, and, and there was an awkwardness, I have to admit, but, uh, but we got through the discussion, and then, and honestly, through the discussion, the people, the ladies in the group seemed to be a lot more sensitive 
but it seemed like the guys were really struggling and felt very awkward. In fact, I've never seen the guys in the group so quick to get up after the discussion and go to the kitchen to start serving refreshments, okay? They had never done that in the history of that small group before or after, but that particular... And so I found myself in uh, the living room there with a number of the ladies from the group and this gentleman. And so I walked across the room because I was the leader of the group and I thought, okay, I need to, to address this. I walked across the room and started a conversation and I said, hey, I'd like to get to know you better. Would you be willing to meet for coffee? And so we did. Now, during that conversation, um, I decided uh, to, to try to lead uh, by listening. You know, there's, a, there's an old saying that God gave us uh, one mouth and two ears because he expected us to listen twice as much as we talk. And, and sometimes that's hard for me, honestly, to do. Uh, but I decided in this situation to trust that leadership axiom that says, first seek to understand before you seek to be understood. And so uh, during uh, that conversation, I learned, yes, he was in the early stages of transgender, uh, you know, that, that changing of gender process. And since this was my first experience, I, I just tried to find out why. Why was he making this decision? And in the course of our conversation, I learned that there were many factors that were leading to his decision. Going back to his childhood, he had strained relationships with his parents. He'd had failed relationships as an adult. And then in the midst of all that, he had come down with testicular cancer. And through the result of surgery and some hormone treatments, he was just completely uh, very confused. And um, I wasn't sure at the end of that conversation if I agreed with his decision, and I'm still not to to this day sure, but I began to understand what had led him to that. And I found that my heart had changed toward him and that I could sense compassion uh, of what he was facing. And so I think, I don't know if anything I said that day changed him, but I believe in the process I was changed. And I think that was important for me. Thank you. Uh, Let's go ahead and move on to the second question and its prompt. Um, If I could ask God one question... It would be, why weren't you more clear in the Bible about gays, lesbians, and transgenders? Roger, let's go ahead and begin with you. Well, on, uh, on the heels of the previous example I just shared, I, I have to acknowledge that the Bible doesn't address specifically this issue of someone having surgery, uh, transitioning from one gender to another. The, the Bible doesn't specifically address that. And so that, that makes this one a little bit difficult to address. Um, and I've even been asked here at Southwest, you know, by one individual, you know, how would we respond if somebody uh, came to Southwest that had gone through that transgendering process. And here was my answer. I said, well, our goal is to lead every individual we can to have a personal relationship with Christ. And, and that would be our desire with that person as well. And once we lead them to Christ, then we would urge them to live out their new life in Christ. We think Jesus makes everything new. And because of that, we would ask them to live out being either 
a man of God or a woman of God of the gender they presently were. And we would embrace them as a brother or sister in Christ. Now, I know that gets a little messy, but I think we just have to, to, to acknowledge it is a little messy and to reach out in grace. And yet, on, on the subject of uh, gay and lesbian uh, issues uh, and those that identify uh, with that, uh, the Bible actually is very clear on that particular topic. Now, one of the challenges in addressing this subject is at times that some of these Bible passages have been misrepresented or they've not been presented in a, a gentle way or a way that emphasizes grace. We've, we've seen churches that, that hold up picket signs and that says God hates blank, and you know they've filled in that blank with a derogatory term towards someone who identifies as being gay or lesbian. And, and, and you know, as a Christian, I'm appalled by that because that's inconsistent with what the portrait we see in Scripture of, of God being a God of love. I've also heard people make statements that, well, the only scriptures that address the subject of homosexual behavior in the Bible is in the Old Testament. Well, the truth of the matter is that's not true. There are some passages in the Old Testament that address this subject. And yet I believe the clearest passages to to turn to on this subject matter are actually found in the New Testament, which is the portion of the Bible that deals with the life of Jesus and what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And so there's actually three. Uh, if you want to write them down, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, Andrew's going to be unpacking that, and 1 Timothy 1. And those three passages deal with this subject matter, and I've studied extensively these three passages and studied them again this week, preparing for this message. The first one is Romans chapter 1. And um, let's, let's turn to that first of all. Now, interestingly enough, this section of the Bible begins with a, the, a passage, a verse that reminds us that, that many people will reject clear teaching from the Bible if it isn't exactly what they want to hear. Okay? So in Romans chapter 1, Uh, When Paul's describing the condition of many in our world, he writes in verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Now, a real challenge in this verse for each and every one of us, regardless of the topic we're addressing, is do we really want to know what the Bible has to say about various issues and various topics, especially when it's maybe a topic that we don't really want to hear maybe what the Bible has to say. So I think this first verse kind of challenges us to be open to what Scripture says. Now, as we keep reading in this section of Scripture, the author lists a number of ways that human, we as human beings turn away from God's original plan for our lives. He lists a number of examples, but for for our discussion today, let's zero in when he addresses this topic. And in verse 26, he writes, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men, 
and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, there's a lot here to unpack, and we don't have time today to unpack everything here, but I want to zero in on uh, just this phrase, natural and unnatural, because I think that, that that sometimes creates some confusion when we look at this passage. Paul's not referring here to what seems natural to us, but instead, he's appealing to God's purpose and intent in creating nature, our natural world. You see, God is the one who created us as human beings, and he's the one who created sexual intimacy as a beautiful gift to be shared in a marriage relationship. And as we read scripture, we see that from the beginning, God has designed uh, the marriage relationship to be a relationship between a man and a woman. That's the natural order that Paul is describing. And as Andrew defined last week, when we rebel against God's will, we're falling short of God's plan or God's glory, which the Bible describes as sin. Now, I think many churches and individual followers of Jesus have really missed the mark on this discussion by coming out really strong against homosexual behavior, which we'll see in this New Testament passage that we're looking at and the others that we're going to be looking at. The Bible clearly says, yes, is sinful behavior. And yet, I think where churches and individual Christians have been inconsistent is we've been very weak when it comes to addressing other sexual sins, whether it be premarital sex or extramarital sex. Here at Southwest Church, we seek to be consistent in challenging people to honor the sanctity of the marriage relationship and to abstain from sexual intimacy or sexual activity prior to or outside of marriage. This is a biblical standard that we should uphold. This is a teaching that I personally am seeking to uphold in my teaching and in my life. This weekend marks Jane and I's 33rd wedding anniversary. Yesterday was our 33rd wedding anniversary. Now that's a dangerous point to make from on stage when I'm sharing with Andrew, because he can point out to me that he was about minus five at that point, okay? (laughs) And although July 30th, 1983 seems like a lifetime ago, I remember very clearly our determination, our commitment, and our victory, personal victory, in abstaining from sexual intimacy in our three years of dating leading up to our wedding day. Was it easy? No. Was it worth it? Yes. And it's been worth it to tell that to our children and for me to share that with other young couples that are engaged planning to get married. It was our commitment to be obedient to God's plan for our lives. Now, as many of you know, Jane and I have lived in Uh, four different states in this country since we got married, and we've developed friends all over the country. And one of those good friends confided in me that as long as he can remember, he has experienced same-sex attraction. 
Now, there have been many debates through the years of whether or not this uh, same-sex attraction is genetic or a result of environment or possibly a mixture of both factors. Honestly, uh, from my research, I think that there are many factors that that lead to these same-sex attractions. And although we don't have time today to unpack this, I've researched it thoroughly. I even have resources available if somebody would like to discuss this particular aspect of our topic today further. But back to my friend. He has shared with me that although he doesn't feel like he had a choice to which gender he is naturally attracted, he has made the choice to not act upon these attractions. He has chosen to abstain and to live a life of celibacy in his desire to be obedient to his understanding of God's plan for his life. I've shared with my friend that I have the greatest respect for him and for his faith in Christ and his commitment to deny himself so that he can follow his understanding of Jesus' call in his life. Now, there's a lot more I'd like to say. We've just touched the surface here. But I wanted to share this because I think it's so important on this topic. So I'm going to turn it over to Andrew. Uh, You mentioned uh, there's a 1 Corinthians 6 passage. Uh, This is a letter that Paul writes to a church in Corinth. And there was, this was, if you want to look at a messed up church, this is the place to look. Uh, And I'll just just read what he has to say. Uh, Paul writes, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God." Uh, Paul puts everyone in the same boat here. He says, anyone who remains a slave to any sin at all uh, was, is not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, and there is similar language if you want to look. Uh, in Romans 1, Paul writes a little more about that. And then there's that 1 Timothy 1 passage. Uh, but it's tip, they have this in the context of a list. And uh, I want to say this, you know, this... Homosexuality, when it's listed in these lists of other sins, uh, it's not set aside, it's not set apart with special instructions. You know, it's not underlined, it's not in bold, it's not in italics. Uh, so one place I'll end is it's not, it's not the unforgivable sin, it's not the worst sin in the world. Uh, I'm going to dovetail here a little bit. Uh, there's this popular belief or saying out there that God sees all sins as the same, which in my reading of Scripture, I've never come across that myself. I do believe that all sins do the same thing, and that's create distance between God and ourselves. Uh, but also I think that sins have measurements. I think sins are measured by their consequences. Uh, you know, for instance, if you tell me that you know, you know, lying to your friend is the exact same as murdering another person, I'm going to think you're out of your mind. But people say this sort of thing. Now, I will say this. Uh, there is a category of sin that is more damaging. And Paul writes all about this in 1 Corinthians 6, and that is sexual sin. Uh, the Greek word that Paul uses in here for sexual immorality, it's the word porneia, which is where we get our word for pornography. Um, yeah, that's where we get that word. 
And sexual immorality, it encompasses a number of different types of sexual sin. That is uh, premarital sex. That is uh, affairs outside of marriage. That's bestiality. That is the use of pornography. And homosexuality is put into this sexual immorality category. Now, like you said, throughout Scripture, God's pretty clear on the seriousness and the damage that any type of sexual sin can inflict. And the solution is always radical and drastic action in defeating it and leaning on Jesus and trusting Jesus to conquer this for us. And that's, uh, that's the case for any sin that's out there. Uh, so the practice of homosexuality, it's similar to the kind of damage to our souls that uh, porn addiction might do or any type of sex outside of marriage. And the reason is because you know, our sexuality is so complicated and it's such an intimate thing and it is so tied to our sense of identity that any misuse or abuse of that is going to have major consequences and repercussions, not just on ourselves, but anyone uh, that we are in, anyone that you know, is in our lives. You know, over and over again, it's clear and urgent that we desperately, desperately need Jesus to define us and that he alone offers grace, offers healing, uh, if, from any sin, including this one, if that is what we're after. We all desperately need the saving work of Jesus. But I do want to say that you know, the practice of homosexuality is very serious, but it's not the worst sin out there, and it's not the unforgivable sin, as many of us might be led to believe. Well, as we uh, begin to wrap up here, uh, we'd like to look at the last group of questions that were submitted in the survey. Um, this is uh, the question three, where it reads, I really wish Southwest would talk about, and how can I be a Christian and supposed to love everyone when I disagree with their choices? And as the second part to that, how am I supposed to feel about gays, lesbians, and transgenders? Uh, on this last category, or this last question, let's go ahead and begin with Andrew. Yeah, uh, you know, a reason we're talking about loving and responding to the LGBT community is that when it comes to uh, that culture, many of us react out of fear or ignorance. I'm not saying stupidity, I'm saying ignorance. I think there's a difference. And, you know, this happens because no matter, you know, if there is any culture that is different from the one that we as individuals follow, we're going to have questions. For instance, there's the Pokemon Go craze going on right now. I don't understand it. Well, you know what? I don't either. I really don't either. But, I mean, I have a lot of questions. But it's... uh, I'd say just so many people just walking around and who knows. I was just, anyway, that's a, we can talk about that for a long time. Uh, but yeah, that's a culture that's different from mine and I have questions about it. And we can almost take that same principle and apply it to, to here. And another reason that we're talking about this or this happens, you're acting out of fear or ignorance, is uh, typically churches are just not good at talking about anything having to do with sexuality. Uh, we're uncomfortable with it. We don't like talking about it. And when that happens, when it's not talked about or discussed, or have any wisdom attached to it, then we draw our own conclusions. And when we don't have any outside voices or outside wisdom, then uh, we can get into some very damaging territory. Uh, but we just need to realize, you know, sexuality, it's, it's complicated, it's complex, there's just nothing simple about it. Uh, I do want to say this, this probably doesn't directly have to do with the question, but I want to say this uh, just to the students in the room, just because of how complicated this can be, and just how... Um, just how complex anything having to do with sexuality is. And even when it comes to you know, embracing or being curious about this community, I want to say to all the students, and maybe not just students in here, but uh, I want all the students in here to know that noticing that someone of the same sex is attractive does not make you gay. 
Having a fleeting homosexual thought does not make you gay. Many would, uh, some of us, you know, we believe that if we have those or go through that, then, oh, well, we must be or we must be questioning. I don't think so. That is one myth I would like to dispel, and I would love to talk about that more after this. And another myth I want to dispel is, you know, many walk around with the idea that those in the LGBT community, they are celebrating Gay Pride Month in a gay bar with every spare moment they have. I want to get that out of our minds, too. I think that would be an ignorant thought. Uh, I want to take us to this. uh, uh, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount about judging. We've heard it before from Matthew 7. It says, Don't judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard for you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. It is not our place to judge or condemn anyone. I believe, personally, that it is sinful to hold a non-Christian to a Christian standard. You may not feel that way, but I feel that as a sinful action. It's unfair. It's not loving. It's not our job to fix anyone. Not our job to judge. So if you want permission, I can give, or we can give you permission to stop carrying that burden. That's not your burden to carry in the first place. Our job is to love people. That's all we're tasked with. Now, if someone that you love identifies with this community, then you react with love and you react with grace. That is the answer here. And don't let this issue be you know, the elephant in the room. It can be talked about. It can be talked out in the open. But I'll say, you know, trust Jesus to do his work. I think Jesus knows what he's doing in all of our lives. And also trust that Jesus will use you, if he wants to, to be an example of love and of grace. A promise I can give is Jesus will not use you as an example of judgment. That's just not how he works. Now, many in the room might say that we simply don't understand how anyone could identify with this community or live this lifestyle. And here's what I offer. This thought is not original to me, but here's what I offer. You can love completely without complete understanding. You can love completely without complete understanding. I think we have the God-given ability to be kind, to be thoughtful, to be gracious, and to be generous uh, to those that we don't understand or those that we disagree with. So I'll end my piece by saying that the LGBT community deserves kind, thoughtful, gracious, and generous people in their lives. And I think that's us. Excellent. So, Roger, as we conclude this time together, uh, do you have any response to this last question? Well, I think as, a, as you, we deal with this question of how do you react, how do you respond as a, as a Christ follower to somebody who's made choices or is living a lifestyle that you don't necessarily agree with? Uh, you know, like last week, what, what I try to do when I'm faced with such questions is say, well, is there an example of how Jesus dealt with that? And so I thought of, of the story that is, is well known, and, and, but I wanted to revisit it again as we close out our time together today. When Jesus was uh, approached by some religious people that were being very judgmental and condemning, and they'd actually had caught a, a lady that was entangled in a sexual uh, uh, sin that was uh, a behavior that the Bible describes as sin. She was, for her, it was adultery. And they bring her to Jesus and, and they throw her down in front of him and said, hey, this woman's been caught in the act of adultery. The law says that we should stone her. What do you say? And of course, it's this classic example. Jesus kneels down, writes in the sand, and then he, he stands up and says, you know, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. And then he kneels back down. And then as time elapses, the only two people that are in the scene and are present are Jesus and the woman. And I love this scene because 
This is how the Bible picks it up there. In John chapter eight, verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, as I put myself in this story, I have to acknowledge that if I were in the crowd and Jesus threw out this challenge, you know, he who's without sin throw the first stone, that I would have had to drop my stone. Because I understand from my reading of scripture and from life that I'm a sinner, that I've fallen short and far too many times. And so I have to acknowledge that I would have no right to throw a stone at this woman. And I'm grateful that Jesus came not to condemn her or to condemn me or to condemn anyone, but Jesus came to forgive. And that we should take our cues from Jesus and not be quick to throw stones. In fact, I don't think we should ever throw stones at someone who maybe is struggling with a particular temptation or a particular sin. And so if you, I want to say this really clear today. If you, or if you know someone else who is entangled in a habit, a practice, or a lifestyle that the Bible describes as a sin, then I want to encourage you to keep coming back here at Southwest as we lift up a Savior who came to forgive and not to condemn. And I also want to encourage you, if you know someone that's entangled in such things, to invite them to come and worship here at Southwest because we are a church that's committed to not throwing stones. And yet, we also must be a church that is willing to follow Jesus in that last statement that he said as well. Did you catch that? He says, he says, go now and leave your life of sin. Along with this, this posture of grace and posture of love also is a call to repentance. And so we as a church need to do both. We need to be loving and grace-giving, but we also are to hold up God's word and God's standard and call people to repentance and call ourselves to repentance when we see things in our life that don't match up with Scripture. So during this time of communion, as we close out our time together today, let's rejoice that Jesus is a, is a savior who came not to condemn, but to save and to forgive us our, our sin. And as we take communion, let's remember the sacrifice that he made to forgive us. And yet also, let's make sure that as we take communion, as we begin a new week, that we resolve in our hearts to also hear Jesus say, go and sin no more. So for all of us, as we take communion today, 
And as we examine our own lives, and if we honestly admit that we've been entangled in the past or maybe in the present, whether it be with gossip, lust, premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexual practices, greed, dishonesty, and we could just keep on going. Let's hear Jesus call loud and clear as we take communion that he came to forgive us, but he also came to call us to leave our sin behind and go and sin no more. So as we take communion, Let's resolve that this week, although we know we won't be perfect, let's resolve this week to follow Jesus and to follow after his holiness and to pursue that in our own life in every way. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for this time that we've had to open up your word and read from it and to share from our lives and address a a particular issue, and I pray that it's been helpful. I pray that it has started people thinking or maybe rethinking some of these issues in a, in a biblical way, in a way that is consistent with Jesus and his posture and love and grace and truth. And yet, Lord, during this time of communion, help us remember that he came to save and not condemn. Help us remember that he also calls us to repentance. And so help us examine our own hearts at this time, not, not be looking at somebody else's life, but just look at our hearts and ask ourselves, is there anything that we need to decide right now that we will leave behind as we seek to follow Jesus this week? Help this be a meaningful time of communion with our Savior. It's in his name we pray.